we've been doing a series on the life of Joseph. And as we go, as we journey through life, we have battles and obstacles. And we're looking at some of the obstacles that could have tripped up Joseph, that he overcame, that he uh, persevered through, that enabled him to become a great leader for God. And today we're looking at the purity test. This is a test for old and young people alike. When Jesus was on the planet, he described his generation as a wicked and adulterous people. How would he describe our generation today? The world has changed a lot since then. You know, in the United States, 70% of the population say that what the president does in his private life has nothing to do with his leadership and his character. But as Christians, I hope you disagree with that. Because keeping ourselves pure is a character issue. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, Jesus said, If we're unfaithful in little things, we will be unfaithful in the big things. And so our reading today is from Genesis chapter 39, verses 7 to 13. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he kept back any and he has not kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. So Joseph was a slave in his master's household, but his master's wife repeatedly tried to seduce him. Joseph refused her every time, saying that he would be sinning against God if he slept with her. When the temptation became too great for him, so that he wasn't able to just walk away, he ran from it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it tells us to run from sexual sin. No other sin affects the body as this one does. Sexual immorality is a sin against our own body. The path to promotion in God is always the path of obedience and purity. There are three things that can bring down a man in ministry. Power, money, 
and women. It's surprising the number of guys that have God's call on their life and God is using in ministry who fall for the gold, the girls, or the glam, the power that goes with being in a place of authority. Joseph could easily have given in to this temptation and then he could have tried to justify his thinking like a lot of us do when we make mistakes. He could have said, look, I'm just a slave. I was just following my, my, husband's, my master's wife's orders. I was simply doing what she asked me to do. Extramarital relationships are probably just a normal part of Egyptian culture. I'm an Egyptian now. I'm living in Egypt. I can do things the way they do things. He could have said, it's just one of the few benefits I get for all the hard work I'm doing as a slave. But let's look at what 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 says about it. It says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. God wants us to obey him, to be faithful to him. There are all these other things that are wanting to pull us off that path of holiness and purity and righteousness with God. And so impurity always starts with our eyes. And Matthew chapter 6 verse 22 tells us that the lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And so we saw in our reading in Genesis 39 verse 8, it tells us that Potiphar's wife cast longing eyes on him. She had lust in her eyes. He was a handsome guy. She just couldn't keep her eyes off him. But lust is not love. Potiphar's wife clearly was not in love with Joseph. If she did love Joseph, she wouldn't have falsely accused him and let him go to prison. Sex for selfish pleasure can and often does turn ugly. Disastrous accusations cause much harm. When Potiphar's wife accused Joseph, she said, this Hebrew is mocking us. Joseph was treated as an outsider, a slave, a lower class group, and he was despised. You might say that consensual adult sex doesn't hurt anyone, but that's not true. Every time we rebel against God, somebody gets hurt. It's incorrect to say, well, it's just a one-night stand. It doesn't mean anything. There will be consequences. Someone will be hurt. Adultery is considered normal in our society today. They've done away with laws against adultery. And we see it being perpetuated and pushed in movies and TV programs today as a normal way of life. 
It's often portrayed by beautiful people who, can, who give the impression that they can have anyone that they want. No matter how good it feels, how attractive the other person is, it's wrong. And so act decisively against temptation in this area. Don't look at it or think about people in that way. Lust is empowered by looking. You know, in the United States, the revenues generated by pornography are greater than the revenues that come through professional football, baseball and basketball combined. So don't look at pornography or X-rated movies. Become accountable in these areas. Most of us have heard of the New Zealand middle distance runner Nick Willis, who's also a Christian and was a silver medalist at the Olympic Games. He had a problem with pornography, and so he told his wife about his problem because he wanted to beat this obsession. Now, you know, the Bible often talks about how we should be yoked with God. That where it's like in the old days when the cattle used to plough the field, that you'd have two oxen and they would be pulling the plough. And it was important that the two oxen got on with each other because they needed to, to plough a straight furrow. And we can say, well, look, we're yoked to God. And Jesus walks with us and he guides us and he shows us the way to go. The Bible talks about being unequally yoked. And when we are unequally yoked, then we can be pulled in a wrong direction. Years ago, I went to a minister's conference and a well-known international speaker, he, um, he had a special meeting for the pastors. And at the end of the pastors' meeting, all the pastors had to file past this guy and he had a word of knowledge for each of the pastors. And as I filed past, and as he gave that word of knowledge to people, many people fell over under the anointing or could feel a weight on them as the presence of God fell on, on them. And as I walked past him, he put his hand on my head and he said, the anointing that breaks the yoke. And I looked that up and I thought, wow, um, if people are yoked to something that's dangerous, that's pulling them in a wrong direction, that yoke needs to be broken. And God can break that yoke. But you know, the main way to break a yoke is actually repentance and confession. But it's also vulnerability. It's being prepared to admit that you've got a problem and you're asking God to help you with that problem. Now, three weeks ago, Clint uh, was commissioned with CAP to start a release group in this church. And this release group is to help people with addictions. It's a bit like AA, but instead of focusing on alcohol, it's for people with all sorts of addictions. And when you go along to a group like Clint's and you say, I've got a problem with this, 
the very fact that you face up to your problem, you admit that you're weak in this area, is the thing that breaks the yoke. Because it, it says in the Bible, if we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. And when we humble ourselves, it allows God to come into our situation and rescue us and walk with us and get us back on that straight path that leads to life. And so Nick Willis, he realized that he needed some help, that he had a problem. It was affecting his marriage. And so he told his wife about his problem. And he, this addiction that started when he was a teen had become a roller coaster ride of shame and justification. He said, My eyes have become truly open to the lies of pornography. It's a fake distortion of sex and women. It's not sexy or appealing. I'm no longer duped by a false reality. Good on Nick Willis. He could have battled that thing on his own. He's an icon for Christian sports people. But he was prepared to come and say, I've got a problem. I've told my wife about it. She's going to help me beat this thing. And God was able to help him as well and now he's free from that difficulty it says in Matthew 5 28 Jesus says whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart if it's in your heart if it's in your mind then it's dangerous but there's a progression in this verse looking leads to lust and lust leads to sexual misconduct. If you don't want to go down this slippery slope, then don't look. People say there's nothing wrong with admiring beauty, but that's where it all starts. I've heard it said that the first look is okay. It's the second look that's the problem. But the problem is some people just take one big, long Look, impurity affects our family. When the Bible talks about sin, it uses the word iniquity. Now, often I try and use simple words that people understand, but I need to explain to you what this word iniquity means, and that's why I'm using it today. Because iniquity is the inward motivation the thinking that leads to an outward action. So before we do something bad, we often start thinking about that thing. We start dwelling on that thing, obsessing about that thing. And that's iniquity. It's when we start thinking about things that we know are wrong. And Deuteronomy 5 verse 9 tells us that iniquity or this type of sin can be passed on down through our family line. Other people are affected by it. So Satan will tell us that it's okay to flirt as long as you don't cross that physical line. You can chat up someone, you can get as close to a person as you like, but as long as you don't touch or do something that's wrong, then it's okay. But that is opening the door to this downward progression that enables Satan to put you in a place where he will get you to cross that line. The lust in our heart 
will ultimately affect our family, even if we never act on it. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, King David saw a beautiful woman having a bath. And instead of fleeing from temptation, he invited her to come and visit him at the palace. Once Bathsheba was in the palace, there was no stopping them. She became pregnant. She gave birth. She lost the child and brought a curse on David's household. And in 2 Samuel chapter 13, we see that David's children also yielded to sexual sin in a similar way that their father had done. David was blind to what was happening with his own children because of his weakness. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he didn't try to negotiate his way out of that situation. Instead, he told the devil exactly where to go. In James chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, it says, When you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. Because God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Jesus was tempted by what he desired. He'd been fasting for 40 days and he was extremely hungry. But he knew that his heavenly father would ultimately provide for him. The devil tempts us with worldly things that we desire. And he promises to give us what we want. You may be poor and without work. You may be attempted to commit adultery with a wealthy married person who could make your financial situation better. It's interesting, if you visit a country like Thailand, you see all of these uh, Western men, older men with young Thai girls. And there's a lot of poverty in Thailand. And the only way a lot of young women can make money is through prostitution. When we lived in Brunei, we had a full-time maid and we paid her a lot more than most people paid their maids. And because she was working for us, she was able to send all her income back to the Philippines so that all of her sisters could get a tertiary education. But it meant that she had to work as a maid and deny her own opportunities for education and advancement. And sometimes people do silly things, desperate things, because of financial circumstances. And often they may even use the money that they get to help other people in difficulty. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, This high priest of ours, which is Jesus, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. All the temptations that you go through, Jesus went through as well. He was faithful to God. He was able to endure and he will help us to overcome. When we're tempted, we can ask ourselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? And so here's Joseph. He's a leader in the making. But he wouldn't defame the name of his God. He had a reputation for being 
a believer in, in God, and he wouldn't do anything that would defame his God. Joseph was successful because the Lord was with him. Why would he sin against the God who had made him successful? Why would he jeopardize his success? And so the ability to flee from temptation is within each one of us. The Spirit of God will lead us and instruct us. God sees every single thing that we do. And inwardly, we know if our actions have God's favor. When we go against God, we know in our heart that we're doing the wrong thing. His, our conscience and his Holy Spirit is leading us and wanting us to obey him. But thankfully, God forgives our sins. Let's face it, we all muck up at times. And when we do muck up, it's never too late to ask for God's forgiveness. If we sincerely repent, God has promised to forgive us and not to count our sins against us. But there still may be consequences. But we can say, my sins are forgiven. I'm not condemned. And so we're to run from temptation, not to tolerate it or justify it or, or try to outsmart it. The word transgression is another big word that I want to discuss this morning. And that means to step over a boundary line. It's a bit like a trespasser, all right? You see those signs that says, trespassers will be prosecuted. They're saying, if you go into this private property, you will get into trouble for violating the law. And so when we transgress, we step outside of God's way into an area that's shady and dirty. And in Romans 1, it talks about what happens when we do that. And it talks about how because of us wanting to go our way rather than God's way, we have exchanged God's truth, God's way, for a lie. You know, there's a lot of issues hitting society today. There's the whole issue of transgender. Now, you will, will notice that when Jacinda Ardern's baby was born, where the first view to the cameras of that baby, it was wearing a green bonnet because that's a sexually neutral colour. There are people today that are saying, look, um, there's no male or female. Let the person decide whether they want to be a male or a female. I mean, the Bible says God created us man and woman. And so there's this cloudy teaching that's coming around now. Give the baby a, a name that could be a male or female name because later on they may choose that instead of being a boy, they want to be a girl. And as soon as we start opening our eyes to this sort of behavior that is contrary to what God says in his word, we actually exchange God's truth for a lie. And we go down muddy waters that open us up to all sorts of harm. And our society is going down a blind alley at the moment. And there will be consequences. And as Christians... We've got to be very careful what we say because people will take offence. They'll say, look, that's hate speech. You don't like me. You're not treating me fairly. 
And so we have to, within our own consciences, be faithful to what God is saying to us and obey him and not cross those boundaries into grey areas. The good news is that God has made a way for every person that gets into difficulty to be set free from the effects of sin and iniquity. In Isaiah 53 verse 5 it says, But he, and this is a prophecy about Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. All right, for us trespassing, going into areas we shouldn't. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's when we're thinking about bad stuff. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. He took the punishment. God is a God of justice. And if people blatantly, deliberately violate his will, then there are consequences. But Jesus took the punishment that we all deserved. And so that by his wounds, we can be healed. God wants to protect each one of us. It's like telling your children that they're not allowed to play on the road. It's not because we don't want them to have fun. It's because we want to protect them from harm. We want them to enjoy long-term fun. And God wants the long-term protection of our families. Sexual immorality opens the door to many other sins. King David's adultery with Bathsheba resulted in deceit, manipulation, lies, and murder. In James chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Selfish ambition is where you're saying, look, it's all about me. I don't care what you want. I'm going to do what I want. That opens the door to every evil thing. I had a, a dream once where I saw a couple having a massive argument at the front door of their house. And they were so incensed with each other. They were yelling each other at each other. They were grabbing each other. And while they were doing that, all these sort of demonic shadows were going past them into the house. And we as parents want to guard our home. But when there is selfish ambition, when we're not getting on with our wives and it's all about, well, I want to do this and I don't care what you want, we're opening the door to every type of evil. And if we want our children to grow up to know the Lord and live godly lives, we need to protect them by doing things God's way and yielding to him and denying ourselves. You know, there can be a real arrogance that goes with promiscuity. People think they can have anyone they want. Derek Prince, who was a Bible teacher, said, you should only give a knowing look, that look that says, you know what I want, to your husband or wife. It's reserved for married couples. Don't give a look like that to someone else. 
Romans 1 goes on to say in verse 32, God's law says that people who live in this bad way deserve death. Yet not only do they continue to do these evil things, but they approve of others who do them. So it's one thing to do them ourselves. It's another thing to approve of them as well. We've got to love everyone because we're all sinners. We've all mucked up in various ways. And God embraces everyone who comes to him in repentance. An open, transparent relationship with God can't exist if we're involved in impure things. David said in Psalm 66 verse 18, If I had ignored my sins, the Lord would not have listened to me. Every time we justify ourselves, we harden ourselves against the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that makes us religious, liars, deceivers, rather than gracious, godly people like God wants us to be. Impurity will also affect our future. You know, Satan probably said to Joseph, you're a slave. Your dreams are never going to happen. Your brothers wrecked God's plan for your life. God's never going to use you. There's only one person that can stop God's plan for your life, and that's yourself. And this happens when we choose to rebel against God and make wrong choices. So Joseph kept lust out of his heart by keeping God in his heart and walking with God day by day. This doesn't mean that if we fail, we can never fulfill God's plan for our life. Because God is redemptive. God is merciful and forgiving. But we can all ask ourselves this question. Am I troubled with spirits of lust and shame? And if we are, we can confess them to the Lord this morning. We can repent of our old nature. We can return to God's ways. Our God is gracious and merciful and he will restore us. He gave his son Jesus to make a way for us to be forgiven and set free. In Job 31 verse 1, it tells us how Job made a covenant with God. He said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? And in Psalm 101 verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Psalm 16 verse 11, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What can be better than that? What can be better than the pleasures that God has for us? When we experience God's enjoyment of us, we will desire to walk in his presence more and more. Then we'll be less likely to do wrong 
because our heart will find no pleasure in doing wrong things. This transformation continues as we are changed into the likeness of God and we start to reflect his glory. So return to the Lord this morning. There may be people here this morning that need prayer in this area. And as I've said, Clint has started this group. I think there's, they've run it for a couple of weeks already. There's already seven people in this group. It's a release group for people struggling with addictions, any form of addiction. Let's pray. Father God, help us in these areas in which we struggle. Forgive us, cleanse us, and set us free. Give us the courage we need to seek help. Thank you for providing us with everything we need to pass the purity test. And for your Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen.